So yeah, that Tracy Parsons thing worked out really well. So I think I'm gonna bring more guests in. In fact, let's stop calling them guests. Let's call them friends. Uh, there might be a joke here about how this might be my brother. That's a whole separate gig and that's a whole separate joke. We'll, we'll talk care of that separately. But today we're gonna talk with Torin Ellis, who is one of the smartest thinkers on DNI I have met. So I can't wait to dive in. So uh, hold tight, we'll get right to it. Welcome to the Talent Cast the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time for joining in, we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better? And that means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, we really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. All right, thanks for listening. Housekeeping, blah, blah, blah. Go to thetalentcast.com. You don't want to hear me do it here. So if you don't know Torin, I don't know what rock you're living under. If he is one of my favorite speakers, and it's not just because we have the same last name, he is energetic, magnetic, smart, and just puts things together, and especially in a space where that is DNI, I feel semi uncomfortable. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce Torin, and we're just going to get to it and uh, kick things off. So, everybody, meet Torin. Torin, everybody. I love everybody. I love you even more for having me on your podcast. So, you know, just a complete thanks, man. And I'm looking at this. It looks like if the screen is telling me the truth, mm -hmm. episode 122. So that means uh, you've been doing this for quite some time. I don't care if you do it even every day. Uh, it just simply means that people trust your voice. They trust you. Uh, and let's get into a great conversation, man. Yeah, I always joke that until I bring in my friends, it's the only time I get to talk for 30 minutes without being interrupted. So let's just go big or go home here. So uh, DNA is DNI, rather, is a, a big, complicated, messy topic. And when I see it, and when I talk to other people in the space, it feels very defensive. It feels very, uh, don't say that word, don't publish that word. And if you're writing a job posting, definitely don't put Caucasian preferred. Uh, we should hire a woman just so no one can say we didn't hire any women. It's very defensive. And that's not where I think we want to be. I don't think that's where you want to be. I think people who are believe in diversity and believe in diversity of thought and believe in the diversity of people, that's not enough. So I'm gonna ask you, let's just get this ball rolling. How do we get from this defensive idea of DNI to this place where it's just kind of the air we breathe? It's just it's it's better. Well, so first of all, we need more conversations like this one right here. Too many people are afraid to even have the conversation for a myriad of, of reasons. Probably at the top of the list is it makes them uncomfortable. No one wants to have to wear the badge of being against DNI. No one wants to wear the flag of having not done enough as it relates to DNI. No one wants mm -hmm. to really publicly raise their hand and and say what Stephen King in Iowa says that, you know, what's the purpose? What's the point? What's the value of DNI? And on a political note, and I'm not really a political person, to your point of diversity being a challenge, 
even the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had the word diversity on a list of words suggested not to use, not to use because they didn't want to offend people in the political space. And so to 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 answer your question, how do we get beyond it? I think, James, the way that we get beyond it is to one to to be comfortable talking about it as it is. We don't need to sugarcoat it. We don't need to make it anything beautiful. If it's not, let's talk about it the way that it is. And part of the reason why people struggle, you know, in my opinion, James, is that a lot of folks have put plans in place, but the plans have been faulty, more like Band-Aids and Mm -hmm. small one time one off tactics. You know, and, and people get tired of that. I think I think that the uh, the interest has been in little drips in the past and not full throttle. You know, if we are putting out a software iteration or we want the world to use whatever product or service we have, we know that it can be better. But the point being is that we are willing to always make it better. We may put this out, but we're always behind the curtain trying to make it better. We haven't really had that full throttle effort around, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, certainly in the last 50 years since the uh, passage of the Civil Rights Act. I think that part of the reason why we've struggled uh, is that you, it, it's been more of a punitive conversation. And, mm-hmm. and I get it. You know, there is certainly some some of that 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 belongs in such. But then what's the backside of that? You know, how do we make it aspirational and uh, you know, one that has air and color and vibrancy to it. You can't just rest in a sandbox of, of, of punishment. And so I think a lot of articles and conversation of the past have been like that. And then last but not least, it's really been a conversation socially and not necessarily of the business piece. And yeah, mm-hmm. we we have the business case. I get that. But we don't necessarily frame it in a very complete uh, business, you know, format that that weaves itself throughout the entire organization, every department, every business unit. And until we do these things and we do them in tandem, we'll continue to have just the stutter step of progress. Yeah. So, so. is it a function of DNI ending up living in HR that it can be kind of shunted away and say, we'll wheel you out when it's time to feel like we're doing the thing instead of saying, how do we embed this in every line of business, every team, every department? Uh, how do we make it so that it's truly, again, this air we breathe and not just something special we wheel out because we feel like we have to? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the part of the way that we do that is number one, we have to get this conversation out of HR. Mm -hmm. So part of my ambition selfishly is to not only talk to T.A. type people, but to talk to folks that have absolutely nothing to do with talent acquisition, to speak at conferences that have absolutely nothing to do with employer branding or recruiting. Because until we reach Archie Bunker and uh, uh, Fred Sanford, and I know you remember Sanford and Son, you know. Until we reach those two individuals and everyone else that they are associated with, then it'll continue to be, once again, that stutter step, that that pause and go and pause, stop and go. And so, yes, it, it cannot only reside in HR. Sure, someone in HR or in the executive suite might own it. They might drive it, but it really needs to be something that everyone everyone in an organization is participating in. And like you said, every business unit, every department, 
I mean, from the lawn keeping and grounds control to mm-hmm. security to accounts payable to supply chain, every single person should want to do diversity and inclusion better than they did it the day before. So the word should is very important, I think, in that idea. In HR, the presumption is everybody buys it. Everybody gets how important DNI is, that everybody should be equal, that there should be open equality, that everybody has, should have equal opportunity to be hired, to be promoted, that you should be reaching out to an underserved audience to say, come on in. How does that conversation change when you move it out of HR and into other places like business or, or wherever you're speaking? Oh, well, they'll say something like meritocracy. I don't want to hire a person just because of their color mm-hmm. or just because of their gender or just because of their academic uh, exploration or geographic location. I want to just simply hire the best person. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to hire the best person as well. And when you say that, you suggest that an emphasis on those that are underrepresented, an emphasis on those that have often been uh, ignored in the conversation, you, you, when you say that, you suggest that shifting our emphasis, our attention, is a dilution of of impact and, and, and of quality of talent and, and, and of team building, but it's not. And so I think that it's really uh, incumbent upon all of us when you hear that that meritocracy statement, you push back immediately and it's a real simple pushback. So do I. And are you suggesting that if I focus more here versus where I've been focusing, that I am not looking for the very best talent and you shut up and let them respond. Mm -hmm. See, I can't fight something that I can't really see. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't really want to assume that that's what you mean. I need you to say to me, that's what you mean. And then you and I can get busy. So I just think that it's a matter of pushing back and reinforcing with all. That's how we get here. You know, oh, I just want to do the best. And and we just can't allow that to rest in the air by itself with not being challenged. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about hiring is that it's very individual. You have one role. You are looking at a handful of people and you're picking the best person. You're looking at the world through a drinking straw, right? You're picking the person for this role. So if you're looking at a pool of people statistically, the white dude probably went to a better school and probably got promoted faster, probably had better experience, relatively speaking, and so they may have the edge on an individual level. But if you're hiring, let's say, a team, and you know it's more, it's very valuable to have women and people of color and LGBTQ people and disabled people and military veterans and all sorts of different people, but those people may not be the number one person at a given time, but you know the broad goal is to bring in everybody. How do you cross that chasm? How do you say hiring is about a system and you're building a team where the black voice and the Latinx voice and the women voice adds something of value where the fifth or 12th white dude voice doesn't? I, you know, there's so many ways to tackle that and I'm just gonna go with one of those familiar phrases in uh, this space. And that that phrase is war for talent. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that phrase was coined somewhere around 1998, 95, 98, give or take. Mm -hmm. And if 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 I believe in that phrase, then that simply means for the last 20 years or so, I've relied on that phrase. To be the reason why 
I have a job opening or why why it's a challenge for me to build my team. Mm -hmm. But then I immediately follow up the war for talent phrase with, well, I want the best person. Mm -hmm. And then I go with, let me go to the same schools that I've been going to for Mm -hmm. the last 20 years. So when we put these building blocks in order and we simply say that, well, you know, damn, I mean, when I look back, I'm really just doing the same exact thing Mm -hmm. over the last 20 years, give or take a pieces of eight, a couple of uh, uh, insertions or investments in HR tech, uh, a minor tweak here or there in in my process, uh, maybe uh, uh, plus oneing or minusing one in terms of my recruiting headcount. I'm really mm-hmm. not doing anything different. Then why do we have you on the recruiting team? Why do we have you leading the recruiting efforts mm-hmm. if if 20 years later you're still saying the exact same thing? Yeah. Let me go it in a different way. If Microsoft Word or Microsoft Office was the same today as it was 20 (laughs) years ago, we'd be in trouble. If we were still using MySpace or AOL today, you and I wouldn't be doing this conversation. You're Mm -hmm. in Chicago. I'm in Baltimore, Maryland. AOL could never never allow us to do the so we don't allow those conversations to happen anywhere else in the building of business except for as it relates to recruiting yeah it's it's only as it relates to uh uh putting forth an effort to to do a better job of attracting sourcing securing and nurturing underrepresented talent that we allow ourselves to hide behind a 20 year excuse. Mm. Nowhere else in business would that be accepted. Yeah. And let's remember that the thing you're the business is building, no one person invented the iPhone, no one person invented the Nike sneaker, no one person invented the Sonos speaker, whatever. As a team. And we're not thinking about things in a systems team process. We're looking through the individual and the individual with the best, which tips the balance towards, again, hi, how you doing? Wipe dudes. So how do you get the business to say, look, the if the value is to end up at a result where there is a team that is complex and has a lot of different diverse opinions and a lot of different ways of looking at things, how do you get from picking the best person one by one to getting to the point where you're building a team intentionally? I think um, I'll just put it in one word. You know, Mm. there's certainly a a number of things that can be done, James. But for for sake of this podcast and the broad, broad reach that you have and knowing that people have different roles and responsibilities, what I will say is proximity. Proximity is how we get to building different and better teams. Mm -hmm. Proximity. And what I mean by that is. I have to be comfortable being in a variety of different places and environments. I have to be comfortable using a variety of different technologies, pursuing different solutions, creating different uh, uh, contributions. And I don't think enough people have proximity to that underrepresented person or persons Mm -hmm. that they say they want or or that perhaps they've even been fortunate enough to bring into the organization. You know, hiring a person is different than having relationship with a person. Mm-hmm. Hiring a person is different than really understanding a person. And so I'm going to go back to proximity because I believe personally proximity will help build and strengthen the empathy muscle. 
mm-hmm. will help deepen the humanity muscle and it will change the way that a person looks at doing this work without proximity then you don't care about those black folks that are getting shot down in the middle of the street you don't mm-hmm. care about that that's not me not you know yeah you don't have proximity you don't care about folks in a country that's underdeveloped and they are struggling from you know a, a typhoon or a hurricane you know that stuff only matters it only matters you know when when it hits home you you know how many people i talk to you know that that will or, or are listen to on the radio that they'll say something to the effect of well, well why are we worried about those black guys getting shot in the street Look at what they're doing in Chicago over in mm-hmm. James' backyard. Mm-hmm. How the hell do you connect, you know, what has been done in a different city with violence that's happening in a certain small, small section of Chicago? Mm-hmm. But but it's because you don't have proximity. You don't have, you know, the empathy. You don't have that connectedness to humanity. You're just simply looking at the headline and you're making a comment. So I think if, if there's nothing else that people hear in this conversation, we have to have proximity. How do you get that? Well, you spend time in different communities. You volunteer with different organizations, not the ones that make you feel comfortable, not the ones that you've always gone to. You give money, you donate to organizations and entities that are a bit unfamiliar to you because they have value too. You, you understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You, they have value, too. So I just try to operate and move, you know, with a, with a sense of, of, of service. Uh, I feel like I live a life of service, and I'm always trying to have proximity. And am I good at it? I'm, I'm better than many, but I, I can always get better. Mm-hmm. I, can, I just said this yesterday. I need to spend more time um, in, in, in providing my time and resources and attention to people with disabilities and our veterans. You know, we're celebrating Military Appreciation Month here in May, but I don't spend and or give enough to our veterans. I recognize that. So proximity is my word, James. So is proximity the interim step to this idea that building a team is a holistic idea that you need to get lots of voices and lots of different people, but that the, you know, the way to get to the the point where you're comfortable making that happen is that interim step of proximity. Well, I don't know if it's interim, but it most certainly is one. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so again, you can, you can do this work, but, but for a lot of people in doing this work, it's just a matter of just running through the, the steps and there's really no connectedness to it. I firmly believe that when you are connected to something, when you feel it, you do it a little bit differently. So it may not be the interim step. It may not be the initial step, but it is a step. We have to be committed to being in proximity with those that we say we want and care about. Yeah. So what do you think is holding us back currently? I mean, there's certainly a lot of political conversations that this could lead to, and I don't want to have right now, but um, what, what do you, I mean, is I, I think of, South Africa and having the truth committee and they had to kind of open the whole thing up. They ripped the whole bandaid off and say, those people did that. Those people did that. Everybody was wrong. Everybody was, you know, had some level of guilt, but by releasing it, they could have the next conversation. And I turn around and look in America and you see, did we ever talk about civil rights other than just saying we checked the box? We did it. Good. Next. It's like, no, there's a lot of stuff that we never uncovered, we never talked about, that we're still finding out. I mean, I 
you know, what's the city in Oklahoma that they burned to the ground because it was filled with affluent uh, African American black people, and they just said, let's just kill it. Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street. Yeah, but you also have Rosewood down in Florida. Mm-hmm. There are thirteen. There, I believe it's like thirteen, and I don't know all of them, so I don't want to profess to to be a historian. But there are something like thirteen different cities, very much so similar to the one that you are referencing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was categorized as Black Wall Street. Thirteen. Mm-hmm. So when you when you don't have these conversations around some of the atrocities that have been committed by white people on black people, then you're not having a fair conversation. When you just simply say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but you don't want to talk about the fact that you fucking took their boots, mm-hmm. then we got a problem. You understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I just feel like when we have a real conversation, then we can begin to make the progress. But you cannot start somewhere uh, on the third leg of a four legged race and say, you know, that everything mm-hmm. is fair and equal. No, you got to be willing to have the uncomfortable conversation and then we can progressively move forward and trust me when a person listens to you and i exchange uh, this exchange that you and i are having right now no one should walk away and say that torrin is an angry black man because i'm not angry at all i'm <laughs> no, good you're not you know i met you a lot angry yeah. is the last one yeah that's that's not even that's not even who i am you know you'll know when i'm angry i'm mm-hmm. not angry i'm just you know i enjoy I enjoy telling a truthful and having a truthful conversation. So even the fact that you bring that up, South Africa and and Oklahoma, just the fact that you are willing to bring that up says a lot about who you are and where you are willing to take this effort and this result. And I appreciate you for that. Well, I'm honestly, it's pure ignorance. I don't know. And so I'm going to ask the dumb question. I think, um, like one of the first times we met, we made, I don't think it was the joke, but it was this idea that the reason we have the same last name is because about a hundred and let's call it 200 years ago, someone in, in my family owned someone in your family and then passed that name over. And that's how come there's a lot of white and black Ellis's. It's like, until you have that conversation, it's just going to linger like an old fish. Yeah. And, 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 and the side note, you may not know this, but mm. you know, when we did that, when I did that presentation in Austin and you were in the room, mm-hmm. um, some of the feedback, a, a lot of the feedback was he's angry or, oh. uh, you know, he didn't really give us the steps to move forward or his slides were light, you know? So, <laughs> so here we are, you, you know, you're looking for some HR magic. loves to you, make that complaint. You, it's like, you, just you, give me the, the, yeah. the, the workbook. Let me yeah. go get certified. Yeah. You, you're looking for that magic, that mm-hmm. fairy dust to be on a screen. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I, I make it my business when I talk wherever I am, I make it my business to tell people, do not linger on the slide. I want you to vibrate with mm-hmm. my voice. I mm-hmm. want you to stay with me. Mm-hmm. Stay with me and you will understand I got to do something different on Monday when I get back to work. Yeah. The solution is not necessarily on the slide because here's what I know. We've been putting up slides for the last for 30 years. A long time. Long Absolutely. Time. And so if, if once again, you don't have the right answer you don't have the right answer when we've been putting up slides. Mm-hmm. So why are you criticizing me now for not giving you said answer on a slide? You're just being lazy and you're mm-hmm. being intellectually dishonest. Yeah, you're looking for an excuse. And at this point, if there was an answer, 
we'd have found it by accident, if nothing else. I mean, just law of big numbers says we would have stumbled over it at some point. And I think one of the deeper messages you have is that there is no answer, that it's the work itself, it's the intention itself, it's the push in the right direction to say, I'm willing to put forth the effort to try the uncomfortable conversation and hope at the end of that, or at least after that, as it continues, we get better. Skill versus will. And you said it so beautifully. I just synthesized it. It is what I say and will continue to say skill versus will. I challenge people sitting in front of me everywhere I go. If your organization said that they would not invest in another piece of technology, what are you going to do? And so can we get this work done with no, I'll go one step further. If your organization says that I'm taking away all of your access to LinkedIn's and job mm-hmm. boards and and everything, you are going back to the way that recruiting, almost to the way that recruiting began with the ticker tape or, or I forget what it was called, but, but all you have is your cell phone. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And the answer in that is uh, will versus skill. Do I have the will? Am I deeply connected enough? Am I, am I curious enough? Am I, am I willing enough to go out and find that talent? Whomever that talent is, am I going to do it or am I going to make a bunch of excuses mm-hmm. that we can't use or invest in any technology and, and just throw my hands up in the air? And so yeah. you said it, I say it, I'll continue to say it, will versus skill. I'm not challenging you on your skill. I'm willing to give each and every one of our listeners the benefit of the doubt that they know their job, they know it well, that they could do it far better than I could for a moment, but that I'm asking, do you have the willpower and the desire to do this work? So Seth Godin, who is on my personal Mount Rushmore, he talks about the idea of art as being the will to put forth the effort to try something new, to do the thing that just seems like the thing to do, to not follow the rule book, to not paint by numbers, to not check the box and to say, how do I solve this problem from a clean sheet of paper? And that allows people who dig ditches and build walls and and, and are accountants and lawyers and, and recruiters to be artists. And that's really what you're talking about. At least that's what it sounds like to me. The ability to say, if I have no tools, how do I move that forward? And that's an art to say, I'm willing to step forward. I'm willing to talk to new people. I'm willing to build relationships. That's the art of the job. The process of running through queries and sourcing queries and uh, automated emails and all that stuff, that's not art. There's no art in there. It's just process. And you build it and you bake it and it just kind of runs. The art is how do I talk to this potential amazing candidate despite the fact they don't look, sound, and act like me? That's exactly what it is, man. And and really it comes down to performing forensics, you know, inside of an organization, the, the looking at the culture, looking at the representation. What do you like about the culture? What perhaps is missing? What might the culture look like 12, 18 months from now? Mm-hmm. What does that representation equation uh, uh, um, uh, number look like? McKenzie did a great piece in, I want to say, uh, January of this year. And, and the title of that piece uh, through McKenzie was, are we long or short on talent? Are we long or mm. short on talent? And the essence of that is, you know, just 
evaluating where you are in terms of skills, what skills will you need, and then how is that mix going to change over time? So it really comes down to, mm-hmm. you know, doing the forensics inside of your culture and, 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 and how that looks in terms of representation. It really looks at, you know, archetyping the type of employee that you need. It, mm-hmm. it, it demands that we have leaders that are willing to lead, hiring managers that are willing to, to get out and really do this work. It really comes down to just simply doing And as long as we are willing to do that and understand that we might make some mistakes, we may miss a couple of steps, we may fall even, uh, scrape our knee, but that we can get back up and get in the race, that's all I care about. Yeah. And I think we've developed a culture broadly where 10 successes can be killed with one failure, right? That failure is is murder. It's just, it's just, oh, again, to to, uh, cite the recent... Caucasian preferred. I don't know anything about that company. They may have done amazing work in DNI. They may have done an amazing record of hiring all sorts of people, but one failure kills it. And and, and again, that's that's all mindset. You know, again, in, in the startup community, they take failures as a badge of honor and they keep mm-hmm. it moving. Mm-hmm. You know, and many of them, many of them, not us, but many of them can even fail and and still get millions and millions of dollars poured Mm -hmm. into the next venture. But my point being is that we have to operate as if we are in a startup community. That's the bottom line. It's just, it's a, it's a mindset. And if we can shift that mindset and operate a little bit differently, be just as willing to fail as it relates to hiring and going after underrepresented talent as we would anyone else, again, we can make progress and we can change these reports. We don't have to to keep having these two and 3% growth reports and mm-hmm. find ourselves celebrating that. We can celebrate the fact that we are all out there trying. Yeah. So a, a story I cite fairly regularly is Sephora. And they make cosmetics, obviously. And I, to me, they have one of the greatest... Um, customer experiences 10 years ago when they really launched. I thought they were gorgeous stores, really well put together. I mean, I wanted to buy lipstick and I'm not the lipstick guy. They have 70% of their developers are women. So when we, when I hear people talk about, oh yeah, we have 10% women or 5% women and we're trying to increase that by 2 or 3%, it feels like we're nibbling around the edges. There's an idea that says, go bigger, just shut up. You know, if you're a company that's trying to hire women, hire women. If you're trying to hire Latinx people, hire them, go get them, go find them and bring them in, give them the money. How do we help people or help companies see that opportunity and stop trying to nibble at the edges? I I simply say again, you know, I I sound like a broken record, but the bottom line is this work is, is really the basic blocking and tackling. Uh, as a Caucasian man, you go to uh, high school, you go to ice cream shops, you go to coffee shops, you go to churches, uh, you have colleges that you go to, you, you buy cars at a car dealership, you purchase clothing. Listen, every single thing that you do, everyone else does as well. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of do you look in the places where they are doing the same things that you do? That's it. This there's no rockets. We're not trying to, you know, do something incredibly uh, hard here. We're just simply saying we got to shift where we are going. And so if you're not aware of that ice cream shop that they go to or, 
that mm-hmm. that restaurant that they frequent or or their church on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon or or where they shop or convene or if you're not familiar with that then it goes back to proximity you need to get familiar and then you can fish in the pond where they are swimming that is all it is and so mm-hmm. i don't really see it as being any harder than recruiting has to be because i never make it i never Try to paint the picture that recruiting is not hard, James. I don't. I don't suggest that in any way. <laughs> recruiting is hard work. It's, it's challenging. Hard. Yeah. So <laughs> it just means that you know we have to shift our attention, and we need to be in places where those people are. And if you don't know what those places are, then that means we got to change our mix of people. It's hard for perhaps a recruiting team of straight white men to understand where LGBTQ uh, LGBT BTQ people may hang out. It may be a little challenging for them to understand where people with disabilities uh, commune or congregate. So you either have to get there yourself or you have to add that context to your team. But this, it's really, again, it's all proximity, man. So I want to have one last question here. I think I will wrap it up. So I had a very interesting conversation in grad school like a million years ago. And it was a conversation around should they teach separate black history? And I came from Texas and I came from New Jersey. I know that my elementary school, there was exactly one African-American in the entire school. So I know exactly where I came from and you can kind of extrapolate from there. And I was like, well, why? Why does it matter? And I had a really in-depth conversation and my whole head got turned around. It really made sense to me why you had to, integ- had to separate black history and identify it and say, this is, it, it exists. It's part of our culture. It's part of our world. It's part of our country. I bring that up because I wonder if we take the Sephora story and extend it, is it easier to hire a lot of black people, a lot of Latinos, a lot of women, a lot of disability people? rather than say let's get a lot from all over the place you know is it harder to make a more complicated truly diverse culture and workplace or is it make more sense to focus on let's dive deep on women let's dive deep on lgbtq let's dive deep on whatever um so i'm confused on the question should we teach a separate black history can you just elaborate on that and then i'm gonna come back to what what's which one is easier sure this idea that if you and i'm clearly i'm explaining it wrong or poorly this idea that like understands light so it, it should you integrate black history or should it be a separate subject that people should take but treat it all as a separate section right in the same way, should you figure out how to incorporate lots of different people from lots of different audiences in a company, or is it more effective, faster, smarter, better to focus on one and say, here's a, let's build a black company. Let's build a company that's 70% black or 70% women or 70% gay, whatever that is. So we have those already. Um, so again, I, I'll come to that part in a second. Mm-hmm. As it relates to history, I don't think history needs to be separate because my history is not separate from your history so long as we are here in the United States. If we were in Europe, it may be different. If we were in South Africa, it may be different. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so I say that we should teach the real history. And, and so 
uh, all of my life when I grew up, Christopher Columbus was the one who discovered America. Mm. How? How did he discover America when the Native Americans were already here? Mm. So, so if we're going to teach history, we have to be honest in the fact that white people have taught the wrong history or an incomplete history mm. since I've been alive. Yeah, they've begun to change it in schools. You know, let's say over the last maybe five or ten years, but we also have people that are still willing to continue pushing the wrong history down in Texas uh, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. They were trying to take the word slave out of history books. They wanted to put yeah. in something different as if they could sanitize and make it a more pretty and more acceptable picture as if we for 400, 250 years asked to be in the scenario that we were in. So mm -hmm. I don't need I don't think the history, James, needs to be separate. I just think it needs to be honest. But to your point of is it easier to go after one and build one type of company versus a broader approach? I just think that we need to do both. Mm. And I don't know what both looks like inside of James's organization because James's organization is different from mine, even though we are in the same exact space. Mm. I don't know what Nike's organization looks like as it relates to Under Armour because they're different organizations, even though they are both in the same space. What I feel is that we should just always operate truthfully that the definition of diversity is extremely broad. We should never uh, sanitize the definition or you know, singularly try to define the definition as being black people or women or mm -hmm. LGBTQ or people with disabilities or veterans. We should never allow the definition to be diluted to just one thing. We should always be true to a more expanded definition. And I believe if we do that, James, then we'll help people to understand that diversity has no finish line. That if we are mm -hmm. true, we will always work to iterate. We will we will be honest with that phrase of continuous improvement. We will live by that as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So if there's no finish line, what does a future look like? How do you get a sense that, or maybe the question is, what does your job look like when we are a lot closer? Does it change or is it effectively the same, just keep getting the message out there? I don't know what it looks like. That's a very, very good question. And quite frankly, in the past, I've said that, you know, um, I probably have, you know, another five or 10 years of being able to do this work because mm -hmm. I felt like and feel like in many ways that by 2025, 2030, people will really understand that, you know, we can't just rely on hiring straight white men in our organization, not when, you know, one out of two individuals that we hire by 2023, 24 are going to be Latinx, mm -hmm. not when 50% of, you know, the population right now is black or brown under the age of 18, not mm -hmm. when by 2030, 50% of our workplaces are going to be black and brown. And so I would say years ago, you know, I got maybe five or 10 more years of being able to stand and, and deliver this incredible presentation or to get in an organization and help them with their recruiting process. Now, James, I actually say something different. I mm. say that I'm going to have and do this conversation in this work the same way that folks play golf. You understand? <laughs> same damn way. Same way. Same way that they play golf. I'm going to be having this oh, conversation good, because because what I know is that it's not it, there. There is no there is no no uh, uh, expiration date mm. on on being better. 
there's no expiration date on on humanity or that empathy that we've talked about. There's no expiration date on that. So as long as I have the ability to stand and deliver, to to get inside of organizations and to help them optimize their recruiting processes, as long as I'm on Sirius XM talking about the work that I do and collaborating with incredible organizations to creatively extend this conversation, I'm going to keep doing it. So it sounds like you are good at talking. Do you talk a lot of places? <laughs> oh man, that we do, that we do. But we enjoy it. Um, and what I tell people often is, don't invite me if you don't want me to tell the truth. Like I'm not showing up to make you feel good or to put up a bunch of pictures and you know, no, we've been doing that. We're, if Torin Ellis shows up, we are going to have an honest conversation that if you are uh, genuinely interested in moving the needle, then you will walk away being able to say to yourself, I got to do something different on Monday. Love it. Aside from TorinEllis.com and at TorinEllis on the various social media platforms, where's the radio show? How do people find you? So you can find me uh, on Sirius XM channel 126 Sunday afternoons at 1 p.m. Eastern, where I focus on bringing executive level uh, decision makers to the platform to talk about their business and to talk about their efforts around DNI. Uh, you can also find me bi-weekly on my podcast with Julie Sowash. Podcast is Crazy and the King. You can find it on Podbean or iTunes. Should I ask which one's crazy and which one's the king? Don't ask. Just listen. Fair enough. Torn, thank you so, so much. Every time I talk to you, I am energized. I'm excited. Uh, I, this is a space I have clear ignorance but it makes me feel like we can do more and I will, I can help somehow so thank you so much for being a part of this I really appreciate it in less than 41 minutes we hopefully have helped a whole lot of other people feel like they can do more as well thank you yes man you're good at this I, I feel bad about my podcast now I gotta go practice thanks everybody for listening we'll see you next week uh, share it review it do all the stuff we'll talk to you later well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.